Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. Where your host for this week, it's me, FG News Editor Olivia Midgley. And me, Farmers Guardian Editor Ben Briggs. We'll bring you a new episode of Over the Farm Gate every Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe through all your favourite platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or Acast to make sure that you stay up to date with all the new episodes of the pod. It's now eight weeks since the coronavirus lockdown and for some it has brought a completely new way of living and working. For a lot of farming businesses though, the soaring demand for British produce has brought commercial opportunities with numerous producers up and down the country turning to direct selling. Jess Fredenberg has been finding out how businesses have been adapting and not only staying afloat, but thriving. You're still ploughing on, and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com slash subscriptions today. Spring is certainly in full swing right now, and nature thankfully is just carrying on as normal. Farmers have obviously been carrying on too, but for those with diversification businesses that rely on contact with the public or perhaps the now closed down catering industry, things have been far from normal. I've been speaking to a couple of farmers who have had to adapt fast to survive these last few weeks. Mixed farmer Patrick Dealey in Surrey, who has, among other enterprises, a farm shop and summer festival, and dairy farmer Johnny Crickmore in Suffolk, whose handmade cheese is normally sold all over the UK, including the likes of Harrods. But first, I caught up with Cathy St. Germans, who, with a team of industry volunteers, has created Farms to Feed Us. So Farms to Feed Us is a national database listing farms, small-scale producers, um, growers, who since the COVID-19 crisis have turned around their business and are now supplying direct. Um, And it lists all the new initiatives that have taken place since the start of the crisis and highlights those people that have had to completely backflip their or forward flip their businesses overnight. Is the purpose to connect farms to consumers? You know, who would be using the database? Yes, it's very much to connect farms um, to consumers and give consumers um, a chance to see what is out there and that there's a resilient food and farming network that's still flowing with no supermarket or middleman required if you so choose. That sounds brilliant. How many how many farmers have you got on there now? Now we are at 267 different farms and producers across the country. And I'm guessing farmers have been really up for getting involved, have they? Yes, I mean, it all started just before we went into lockdown. I I called a Zoom gathering with some of the members of the Regenerative Regenerative Agriculture WhatsApp group that I'm a part of, um, which is a nationwide WhatsApp group of farmers, thinkers, writers, journalists, scientists, and aware that there were farms in my area in Cornwall and growers that I knew who suddenly had lost their markets overnight when the restaurants shut. And they were down to, you know, 
no nowhere for their crops to go. And so on that Zoom call, there was Fred Pice from Gathalny Farm near Bristol, Abby Rose of Farmerama, Neil Hesatine of Hilltop Farm in the Yorkshire Dales, Ollie Baker, a young grower down here in Cornwall. And I put it to them that I'd had this idea to set up a database that would help connect them with all the people that I was aware were looking for food. And everyone thought it was a good idea, so I pulled together a small team of volunteers and we decided to make it very simple and straightforward and lo-fi. We created a Google form, which was the sign-up mechanism for farmers to sign up to the database. And then we just created a simple um, Google spreadsheet from that. It's all very low-tech, with the idea being that anyone could access it. You didn't have to be kind of assiduously on social media. If you were older, you could be have it shared with you by being printed out. And the response was immediate. We launched on April the 4th, and within hours we we had hundreds of people looking at it. The Guardian uh, national newspaper uh, did us on their live blog, and that, that kind of was it. We sort of snowballed from there. Sounds absolutely brilliant. I, I'm going to jump into the database right now. Let's have a look. So at the bottom, I see you've got a nice intro, and then you've got database local and national. Yes, so it's divided up. You can either search the farms for people who will deliver nationally or for farms that are delivering locally. Oh, I see. Okay, so so I'm on it now and I can see there's, well, there's a lot of other people on it already. <laughs> Loads of people looking at it, which is great. Um, yeah. What have we got? We've got Windingwood Vineyard in Berkshire. We've got... Hobbs House Bakery in Bristol, Tinwood Estate, Chichester. We've got, I mean, it, yeah, lots of Cornwall and what's on offer. So milk, fresh Cornish fish, um, milk, butter, double cream, clotted cream, beef, cooked ham. Oh, ostrich yeah. eggs, ostrich eggs. Yes. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> last night we had a mint farm signed up, which is really interesting in Hampshire. Wonderful. 30 year old mint producers which I hadn't kind of picked up on before incredible um, got goat meat goat yes, milk potatoes quite a, lot of goat, quite a lot of goats venison gosh there's tons it's yeah, absolutely brilliant cider and we very much focus on the by county and then nearest town because I know living in Cornwall that the you know the, it's a very big county so to have a instantly be able to see your nearest town um helps and then we also asked people, what have they got a lot of, what's plentiful, and what do they envisage being in short supply? I think that message of un- people understanding a bit more about the seasons and harvest gaps and the moments when there's more and then when there's less. One of the things that we've noticed is that, like I think everyone in the country, that poultry was at one point quite hard to get hold of, whereas the price of lamb and beef, certainly lamb, and pork dropped. There was farms in, in my region who were offering 20% off pork. So we're just very much trying to show that you don't have to be buying one kind of commodity that there are when there are other options and to try and show what, what there is that's plentiful in this country and what's being farmed. Absolutely. And what are the, you know, I can see here, obviously, there's a huge range of, of farms, but, you know, what kinds of stories of the farmers who are involved in this been coming to you with you know about how they're adapting their businesses well for instance Ross Geach at Padstow Kitchen Garden he supplied 95% of his produce to Padstow and upcountry restaurants um, Rick Stein being one of them and overnight when the restaurant shut he lost 
all that market. So he's now turned to doing veg box deliveries. He's selling seedlings from, from his farm shop with an honesty box and he's doing a virtual food festival. He's been very innovative and inspirational and he's helping other local producers in his area. I think that sense of community is something that I've really noticed. He's helped St. Ellen Dock Asparagus, for instance. So those kind of communities acting together is great. There's um, drive-through farm shops, which I love. There's farm shops um, acting by bicycle. Oh, really? Uh, Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) There's farm shops that are also working with local charities and um, helping support food hubs and food banks. And there's there's a kind of wide, wide variety of, of farmers and growers now who can sell direct. Um, Fred Price at Gathelny Farm outside Bristol, he's a, a tw- 10 to 12 years into his regenerative farming journey. He's one of the first to sign up to Farms to Feed Us and he grows grains and also has pigs. And again, he was another farmer that lost a big chunk of his of his um, business overnight when the restaurants closed. 60% of what he produces every week is pork, so that was a big shift. But he's taken his time and thought about how to do this and he's really focused on what the ultimate is for him as a farmer and also has had a real look at how he operates as a farm. And they put into place a response which is more resilient and sustainable, which is now selling direct. And he's doing 18 also boxes of pork a month. Some farmers who would have maybe felt it was more difficult to carry on, I think, after this terrible winter. But with this good weather and they've got their spring work done and they've now got a chance to really focus and think, how do they look at this food chain and how do they come out of this crisis stronger? Well, I mean, that's quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, what do you think longer term, what could this database become after, you know, after the the lockdown? Do you think this is something that has do you think you've kind of kick-started something in terms of local food and community? I think what what this time has shown is that people do care about food and that they've realised it's not something we can take for granted any longer. And I think that caring is a big big push in the you know in on the door of of selling direct. And I think people have got more time to be interested in where their food is coming from, and they're realising the work that takes to produce their food. And um, the difference between well-farmed food and not-so-well-farmed food, I think, has is, is, is also come through. And I think that retaining that loyalty... I know one farmer saying, one of his customers saying, I didn't know carrots could taste like that. <laughs> um, and I think ha- how we keep them from driving, the customers from driving past those farms once mm. the crisis is over and to the supermarket is the million-dollar question. But it seems to be about stories and relationships. And if we can get those stories out of, of of the great farming stories that we all know about and if we can help build those relationships I think that that could be a silver lining from this terrible time. Definitely so how can um, consumers and farmers get involved where do they need to go? Okay they can go to farms to feed us.org our website and if you're a farmer there's a sign there's a form that you can sign up to sorry on the on the website it's very easy takes five minutes and then if you're a consumer you can access the database you just click on it and there are over 250 farms for you to choose from across the country and some incredible produce and amazing people producing it 
CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and during this Covid crisis the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more go to www.cla.org.uk That was Cathy St Germans there talking about Farms to Feed Us, which has had over 8,000 views now of its database since launching on the 4th of April. And I have to say it is an absolute treasure trove of great food producers across the country. So if you're um, a consumer and you want some really good food or you're a farmer trying to sell direct to people, go check it out. So now on to Suffolk and dairy farmer Johnny Crickmore, whose cheese business has had a surprising turnaround after a very worrying first two weeks of lockdown. Since COVID, we've had to really spend an awful lot of time changing the the, the style of our business, of where how we our sales route to people. Um, that that has changed considerably in the last few weeks. Um, so we've had to. We've had to adapt and change um, very quickly. Our biggest seller is our brie called Baron Bygod. Um, it's a raw cow's milk brie, um, and um, and it's sold mostly in delicatessens and and through restaurants. and uh, And that's where some of the problem with our our um, our cheese is, is. You know, in the last few weeks, it's all of the places we sell it has been shut down. So what ta- talk me through what's what's been happening exactly and and when it happened. Um so around the time uh what literally what Boris um shut uh asked all the restaurants and um hospitality stadium events all of those to to shut down overnight and um and um and that just kind of left us in a really bad position because uh the next two weeks uh, from that from that point, uh, we lost around seventy percent of our sales on cheese. Gosh, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it was quite frightening. Um, I think uh, by the time we got to the end of the second week, we took the decision to furlough half our staff, um, and we were faced with uh, a, a, around fifty thousand pounds worth of cheese, which we were um, expecting to um, throw away. Um, oh gosh. Yeah, yeah, not good. So we, uh, you know, I suppose for me, like the the thing, what was in the back of my mind was like, like you're looking at supermarket shelves and there's nothing on the shelf. All the pasta and the bog rolls and the tins of things are all gone, and then you've got um, like producers like us of um, making sort of more speciality food. Um, you've you've got this mountain of 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 well, we had a mountain of cheese. What nobody was buying, and it and it and it that was what made me think. Well, surely if people are desperate to have food, why are we going to throw food away? So it was just it was just like thinking like people do want this food. It's just they don't know how to get it. So we just had to change the way we sold our products. Okay, so what have you what have you been doing exactly then to get it to those people? Um, so initially, the first thing we did is we, you know, I, I started like uh, listening and and like speaking to people who 
who we already sold our products to um, and found out like you know there's some some people were doing incredibly well some people were doing terrible the people who were doing really well were uh, were um, home deliveries um, online orders that kind of thing so um, we started to focus on those areas and see whether there was ways we could adapt and change the style and change the way we sell our product the shape of it the you, you know we one of the things we did was instead of selling whole cheeses which is you know how how we were before we were selling big quantities of whole wheels of cheese we found ourselves uh cutting the cheese into fifths and twelfths and um uh like making like pre-packed cheese um and then sell sell that uh, through our own website. Um, so uh, you, you know, smaller individual orders through our own website. But equally, all of the uh, shops who already had in place a, um, a a website of their own, a shop of their own, um, that 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 they found that their business was picking up as well. So um, by offering them, um, you know, pre cut Baron by God packed, ready to go. Um, you know, it seemed to uh, it seemed to be where what people were after. Why do you think people were wanting smaller pieces of of cheese like that? Um, I think it's it, it's because everybody um, was and still is to an extent um, worried about meeting people, and uh, and the our style of cheese is. Um, our style of cheese is uh, is mostly sold in in places where you would either be in a restaurant and a cheese would be given to you on a like a cheese board or it would be um through a delicatessen where you would have lots of all these wonderful cheeses in front of you on a counter and then the the cheesemonger uh, would cut the wedge of cheese and wrap it in front of you so this is this is not like the sort of thing what people want right now um people want to buy something where they don't feel like people are touching it um and something where they can just grab it and go um and and also equally the 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 huge um sort of like surge of like online orders now again people haven't got the time to cut cheeses and wrap themselves so if it's already cut and ready to go we just simply do that all our end where it's like in a hygienic sort of um clean food food grade sort of building um and send it out uh and then then the other people at the other end are then putting it into boxes with other people's cheeses and um onto the final customer oh i see so you're not you're not necessarily selling direct to um to consumers then you're selling direct to the customers that you had before who were then selling on to consumers is that right yeah yeah it is a bit of both though um because our our own um website with our own online shop has um i mean uh the, the it's it's become massive a massive part of our business right now whereas before it was just a little online shop you could buy a bit of cheese direct from the producer but now it's um you know it's it's kind of a yeah, it's it's big enough to be a business on its own, really. Oh wow! So, I mean, how are sales doing overall then, compared to what they would normally be at this time of year? Um, oh, it's the the last few weeks. It's so uh, random, up and down. So it's really hard to tell. But initially, we we um, 
the first two or three weeks looked really, really bad. So they were um, only, like I said, about 30% of what we would have sold this time last year. But uh, with the likes of sort of, you know, celebrity chefs getting behind the product, um, lots of great social media um, publicity, um, we've actually turned it around and are making a similar amount of cheese to what we did at Christmas. Um, so, wow, yeah, it's it's literally we're, we're having to make cheese every day right now. Um, uh, everybody is back. Um, all the fur- uh, furloughed staff are back, uh, which is great. Um, and, um, yeah, we are literally making cheese for England right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing johnny that's that's incredible do you know if other um cheesemakers are finding the same thing i i think i think they you know the people i've spoke to are um i don't think everybody is but i think if uh if you've adapted quickly um then i i think there is right now there is a demand for um sort of luxury products because you know, at the end of the day, we I, I, I can't remember the percentage. Is it like 30, 35, 40% of um, the food uh, as a population we consume is not in our own households? So that's disappeared, most of that. So, uh, you know, there's people wanting to spend money on, on the nice food and they can't go out to have it, so they're buying it and having it delivered instead. And, um, it, you know, there's there's huge amounts of opportunity there for people right now because some people are not t- deciding to take that opportunity. They're just saying, well, I'm shutting up. I'm going to get, you know, all the staff are furloughed. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. But then other people are saying, well, well, this seems like there's loads of, like, gaps here in the market. Like, let's try and make more of these gaps. And so, so I think some people are um, benefiting from the fact that, there is um there is there is areas where you cannot get a hold of products so do you think you've got do you think you've um you've won some new customers through all this then who might stay um post lockdown as well yeah i i i'm sure we have um one of the things what we did uh which i kind of I didn't expect the the results to be quite like they were. Was we in the first two weeks how much business we lost? We 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 said, well, let's give cheese away. You know, there's people out there having a really tough time. We're just going to give give it to them. We the guys before they were f- furloughed, everybody got together and we were all just cutting up wedges of cheese, wrapping it, and we uh, we gave it to our local milk groundsman who's got. Um, well over three thousand customers and 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 we just said you know if you're happy just give every every one of your customers a wedge of our cheese they're all local people and uh, and we had this overwhelming sort of um response of thank yous and uh you know you, you know you've made my day i don't get out much this has really made me happy um all of these things and it, it really it put a sort of you know like a lump in my throat it just felt so so nice um uh you, you know life's not all about trying to make money sometimes things like that is you know it it is this uh yeah it's it, it's it's nice doing things where somebody has uh, um appreciated it that's really lovely do you do you think um you'll be doing things like differently you'll continue to do things differently after lockdown lifts yeah i think i think there will there will be without a doubt there will be changes and um and those changes will stay 
Um, I think we will be doing things differently. I, I can't, I don't think our online orders and stuff will um, disappear. Uh, I think they will remain, but they probably will drop. Um, uh, but um, yeah, there, there is this with a, such a big, a big change. There's bound to be uh, people who um, are not here. Or businesses are not here when when things do get back, and it's not going to be a quick get back either. Is it? It's going to be a gradual sort of. Um, over the coming months so um, I think habits will change um, we will go back a little bit to where we were but um, but but I think a lot of the the new way of selling products is going to remain and Johnny I have to ask do you still have your amazing um, vending like milk vending machine in the the cow print uh, shed on the farm we we do yeah um so so yeah that 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 little milk milk machine um what we put back in 2011 um that uh obviously went on to there's so many more milk machines milk vending machines around the UK now but in recent weeks um it it sort of like trebled in in sales um so that again one of the good things to come out of covid is that more people discovered our little shop um and are buying um buying milk from the local farmer um and on top of that we've actually uh since we last spoke we've added um three three more vending machines so we've got a, a cheese vending machine oh, we've got wow. a, br- a bread vending machine <laughs> no so you haven't got, that's amazing yeah. So the, we've got a local baker, and he makes such good bread. I, I mean, I'm getting seriously fat from um, all his good <laughs> bread. Um, and then we've got a coffee, coffee vending machine. So it's uh, good, good milk, good coffee beans, and uh, you make a good. We, we make good espresso coffee at the farm as well now. Oh wow! And I suppose you're using your milk in it as well. Yeah, fresh, fresh milk every day. Fantastic! Oh gosh, how amazing! Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're. You guys are doing well through this. Um, it's really sounds really positive, actually. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I hope so. I hope I'm not like making myself believe it's uh, actually pretty good and actually it'll all come crashing down on me. But um, we're, we're staying positive, and 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 I think other farmers should too. Uh, look at the look at the opportunities out there right now. Um, you, you know, it, it, there there is loads of opportunity right now. Um, uh, uh, you know, because everything's been reset, so this is the time to to make changes um, and uh, stay positive. Um, you know, I think for many of us, we've had to rethink our lives a little bit right now, and uh, um, you know, hopefully, when this is all over, we'll maybe we'll be a little bit more sensible about what we do and uh and respect the environment a bit more and all of the sort of things what we wish we were doing before absolutely well johnny i'll let you i'll let you get back what are you what are you doing for the rest of the day uh today uh i've got a a a phone call with another farmer uh and um and if i'm not too late i've just got to help finish off uh back at the farmyard uh with the cows um but uh yeah that's it for me uh other than uh you know uh making sure the kids go to bed all right johnny thank you so much and speak to you soon hopefully yeah no problems thanks jess johnny has managed to reorientate his business quickly and with success 
But what if your business relies on customers coming to you in person, like the thousands of farm shops across the country? Here's Patrick Dealey, a mixed farmer near Godstone in Surrey, who has a farm shop in Delhi at Flower Farm. A week before the lockdown, it's something I've never ever experienced in my life. We had literally a tenfold increase in the number of people trying to get into the shop. And people were literally, they were panic buying, they were absolutely scared, they were terrified. As well as the farm shop, Patrick has had multiple enterprises to manage under lockdown, including a tea room, business units employing 400 people, an on-site microbrewery and pub, and an annual summer beer festival, which is the largest in Surrey, attracting 15,000 people. I wanted to find out how Patrick has been managing all of this. You know, it must have been quite a worrying time of looking ahead, thinking about all your different businesses and how you were going to manage them. Yes, very. My initial concern was obviously the shop being a major part of the business. My first thought process was the fact that the shop will remain open. It's a food shop. We won't be forced to close. And we still haven't been forced to close, even though we've closed it to drop-in customers. And it's now obviously online. So that was my sort of primary concern there. And I was thinking... It'll be okay, we'll adapt the shop round and yeah, make it more acceptable for social distancing, etc. But it just very, very quickly became apparent that was not going to be the case. The number of people trying to get in simply yeah, off, the, off the roads themselves into the shop became a serious problem for the Highways Authority and for us. And also a lot of people were getting very anxious about social distancing and it became difficult for the staff as well. You know, when, when the team that are working with you are raising their concerns to you, saying, look, Patrick, much as we love you and we love our jobs, etc., we've got people coming in the shop saying, oh, I actually shouldn't be in this shop because I'm supposed to be isolating because my so-and-so has the virus, etc., Patrick, we're not very happy. Yeah, we literally did have that. And it was a case of, Mm. right, what am I going to do in this situation? And the staff were worried. And it was, if that's what's happening with people telling us point blunt that they shouldn't be out, what percentage of people knowing that they shouldn't be out were keeping very quiet? My priority is obviously, one, to look after the community, but make that community smaller. My priority is to my team because, yeah, they've got families as well. Because you've got... Is it 15 full-time staff and 75 part-time staff? So it's a, it's a lot of people to be managing, isn't it, and, and caring for. And I, I guess right now with everything, it's an added layer of responsibility for their, their health and well-being, isn't it? Correct, yeah. And when you employ people, it's not just about what happens you know, during work time, etc. You have a duty of responsibility term, or, or I certainly feel that way. You know, whatever I do, choose to do, may well affect them. And for a lot of people, you know, if they're heavily mortgaged or mortgaged, whatever, particularly in the current climate, my actions can lead them, you know, to have serious, serious issues. So I do bear that in mind. Very, that, you know, that is always very high up on my list of things. On the day that I actually closed the shop, I had a meeting the previous day with, with the sort of top level, if you'd like to say, to discuss what we were going to do and where my thought process was, and also to check that they thought that was the right thing to do as well. You know, when you have a team, it's important to involve all of them. You can't involve them all on every single thing, but you know, one has to layer it into who's responsible for what. 
And so on the morning that I decided to close, I got them all together and said, look, guys, this is what I'm going to do at six o'clock tonight. The shop will close for visiting customers actually coming in the shop physically. We'll be going online. But I stress that you are all still employed. um, And it's my objective is to make sure you're employed and keep the business running, etc. And this is how we're going to do it. And I've thought about it. And trust me, you know, we'll make this work. If we're all in it together, it'll work. And it has. Tell me about how you have actually adapted the, the farm shop business. Yeah, well, we literally took the entire business overnight online. I already had an online system 80% in place for our Christmas turkey operation whereby you can literally order it online and you can have it delivered to wherever you want London, Cambridge, wherever it happens to be. So we'd already dabbled around in that and the management team had experience of actually doing that which was obviously a godsend. So we literally started it off very very simply and the thought process was at this particular time It's a no-frills, it's a one-item, it's one box, and it is literally, if you've got nothing in the fridge or the freezer or at home in the kitchen, you need some food, we're going to put together a package that will tie you over. And it's literally, it's no-frills, it's bread, meat, eggs, milk, vegetables, fruit, bits and pieces in there just to get you going. And that's what we did, and we it works. There were a few issues with it here and there. Is that the ration boxes? You named them ration boxes, yes. Correct, that is. Yeah, well, yeah, because that all came out of literally the whole sort of warlike mentality. And I thought, it's a ration box. That's what it is. You get your rations. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and every, everyone gets the same. There's no, oh, well, they got that. Why didn't I get that? It's literally, you've all got the same and you can survive on this. Mm, what a great idea. How have people reacted to that? Absolutely fantastic. It was it was great. The reaction was literally, yeah, there's something in there. We can make a meal, we can make several meals. And at the same time, I've tried to convey across the message of this is what Britain is good for. Um, you know, yeah. Are you aware of what actually farmers are doing and you know, what we produce and what is imported? And you know, I have tried to push farming as far as I can to the customer by literally going direct which is so important to reconnect people with food. I know you've been working with some other farmers, haven't you, to boost your your ration boxes? So it's simple things like, for example, we have bought up extra loads of milk from the local dairy and put it in people's boxes free of charge on the basis that, look, can you please give this to a neighbour? We've bought this milk, yeah, we've paid for it, in order to try and use up some of the surplus where milk no longer has an outlet. Do you think this whole this whole experience, has it changed your relationship with the community, with your customers, with your staff perhaps? Definitely, 100%. With the staff, hopefully it's um, shown them, one, what we can do under exceptional circumstances and how you know, we can literally turn the business around from doing one thing one day and then saying, right, we're, we're literally going to change the means by which we're um, selling our produce overnight. And in the community, yeah, obviously it's raised the profile of the farm and its importance in the community. And I would say that was, from a personal view, I'd say it's probably the single greatest opportunity for farmers to put themselves out there um, and promote them not in a um, greedy way but simply to point out to people 
that Britain does need food security and the best way of any security is to make sure you've got a percentage of it yourselves to keep going. It, it's not possible for every farmer to make the most of it, but if, if everyone stands united together uh, with a common goal um, and common objectives, then you'd be amazed at what can be achieved. And looking ahead now, Patrick, what about your, your summer festival? Because obviously that's, that's scheduled for July, isn't it? So yes. what are you thinking might happen there? The date is fixed for the 10th to the 12th of July. We would like to do that. We can still do that. Um, everything's booked. But obviously reality hits home and it's a case of we might not be able to do it on that date, in which case we will move the date to the earliest possible opportunity where we can do it. When we come out of this, people will need something to look forward to. And it's also important to make sure people have hope Someone that doesn't have any hope is a broken person and I want to give people something to look forward to, something positive. And obviously it's a big event in the local uh, community and it would be great to say we're going to do our festival. Yeah, we've had to move the date, but we're going to have a party. Thanks, Jez. Let's hope this hunger for homegrown produce and shorter supply chains continues when normality returns and lockdown finally ends. Now, Jeremy Clarkson's recent venture into farming has been well documented and you might have seen pictures of him buying North of England mules at Tame Sheep Fair in the pages of Farmer's Guardian. Well, he's now gone and bought a tractor, a Lamborghini R8 270DCR, which will mean more to my machinery editor James Rickard than it does to me. But the machine is so big, allegedly, that he's had to build a new shed to house it, a new driveway and also put new gateways in so he can actually use it. Well, he would, wouldn't he? You can read more about Clarkson's tractor trials and tribulations on our machinery pages at fginsight.com forward slash machinery. Well, that's it for another week. Be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platforms to keep notified of all the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back next Tuesday, as ever. But from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, thank you for listening and we hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.